Welcome to the 185th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with fantasy writer Ann Leonard, author of the novel Moth and Spark. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Ann Leonard, author of the novel Moth and Spark. And welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thank you. Great. Well, can I have you read the first couple of pages of Moth and Spark? Sure. So this is the first part of the, pro- the prologue, so I'm not going to give any background information at all because it's what you get when you start. Riding, riding. He had been riding when the dragon appeared overhead and came slowly, inevitably down. It was a cloudy day and he was in the fells. The air still had plenty of winter in it here, high up. There were two men with him from the garrison. There had been no purpose to the ride besides itself. He had been sick of the dirt and smells and noise and press of soldiers in the hold and needed to clear his head with exercise and open air. Then the dragon's cry, sharp and compelling as a hunting hawk's, but longer, fiercer, more dreadful. He had heard it a hundred times and it still made the hair on the back of his neck rise and his skin prickle. He was prey, and his body knew it. The horses knew it, too, and reared and neighed in terror. Corrin was nearly thrown, and one of the soldiers was. The dragon descended. It folded its shimmering blue wings with a rush of hot air that smelled like sulfur. Long ivory claws gouged the earth. It was huge. It snout at least the length of a tall man's arm. Solar scales on its sides glistened even under the gray sky. It crouched, tail switching back and forth, nostrils steaming. By the time Corrin had his own horse under control, the second soldier was kneeling beside the first, whose leg was clearly broken. One horse had not gone far, but the other one was out of sight. Go back for help, Corrin said. There's nothing you can do about a dragon. He did not even touch the hilt of his sword. It was useless. The dragon rider came off the dragon in a smooth and graceful slide. Corrin's horse trembled and sweated, but did not move. He would stay mounted as long as he could. When he glanced over his shoulder, he saw that the soldier was obeying him and returning. The dragon rider had dark skin and black hair, and when he spoke, it was a different accent from the Mycenaean Corrin was used to. Lord Prince. The tone was hard, mocking. Rider. He felt the dragon looking at him, and he was careful to keep his eyes on the man and not the beast. One who stared too long into a dragon's eyes would go mad. I have for you a message. Speak it. The firekeepers have chosen you to free them from their slavery. Already you walk in Hadon's dreams. He fears you, so he will bring down war. He makes alliances with your enemies and turns your friends against you. This is your task, this and no other, to free the firekeepers from the empire. They will lend you their power so that you will be as them, though still a man, until you have done this. They will do what magic they can for you. Dismount. Corn's legs moved at their own accord. He walked stiffly toward the rider. The rider held out a small golden flask. Drink this. No. Faster than anyone could move, the dragon rider had hold of him and forced the liquid down his throat. It was sweet and thin, and it burned. He struggled, but it was no good. One swallow, two swallows, three. His mouth had the taste of iron. The dragon rider stepped back. Corn staggered. He felt feverish. The rider said, you will forget this until the change is complete. When you remember it, then it will be time for you to begin your labor. The firekeepers will watch. Do not shirk it. 
Darkness closed in on him, and when it lifted, he remembered nothing of the dragon or the rider. He was sitting on the stony track beside the man with a broken leg, waiting, while his horse nuzzled among the rocks to see what thin new grass it could find. And that's the end of that section. Okay, great. Um, so uh, if someone listening hasn't heard about Moth and Spark yet, how would you describe the novel? So the shorthand description of it that I've been using was that it was Pride and Prejudice with Dragons. Um, but that's just, that's very, very general. It's a fantasy. Um, it's got romance in it. Um, I don't think of myself as writing a romance, but a lot of people have found it um, that that's really the strong part of the story. Um, and it has dragons and adventures and wars and all those good things. That's great. Well, I know that you have a PhD in English and I'm curious when you were pursuing that degree, did you know that you wanted to write fiction or were you oh, yeah. writing fiction? Oh yeah. I went into the PhD program straight from having graduated from an MFA in fiction writing. Okay. And I was trying to figure out how to, you know, be a writer and being in the academy at the time seemed like the way to go. Right. And so your your MFA program, were you writing science fiction and fantasy or, or what was the reception if, if you were? Um, generally, generally, MFA programs are not real keen on <laughs> genre fiction. <laughs> uh, That's why so, I ask. So um, now, our, now, magical realism, there was... You know, People in my MFA program did some really interesting magical realism and so forth. What I wound up writing at that point was um, my manuscript was a novel that definitely it had it was a character who had a whose dreams she interacted with her dream life, which was of the past, and but you know the the two plots wound together until he was dreaming of her and she was dreaming of him and so forth. So it was certainly not straightforward realism. Sure, sure. Um, so, so do you remember what the spark or the idea that prompted you to to write Moth and, and Spark? Sure. I had written a novel that was actually out with an agent. Um, I had decided that I was going to go to law school because I liked writing and make, that was a really good way to make money as a writer was to be a lawyer, <laughs> uh, which is in fact true. And, but when I had, finished the novel that I had finished, um, I had realized there was this story in me that just kept sticking its head in, and it wouldn't go away. And it was this kind of cheesy Cinderella romance story. So I said, okay, damn it, I'm just going to write this and get it out of my system, and then I can write what I really want to write. And that was what turned into Moth and Spark. That's great. Well, well, I know that in your PhD, D program that you've studied and written about race and science fiction and fantasy. Um, as you look at science fiction and fantasy today, do you think diversity in both writers and readers is changing? Yeah, that's one of the things that's been really interesting to me. I mean, I basically spent a long time out away from the field, not reading at all, um, because this is what happens when you have a job and a kid. Um, and so coming back to it about 15 years later, I see that it's a, Diversity is a big topic. There are more writers of color. People talk about the lack of writers of color. It's on the table. It's being discussed. There's a lot of um, activity around it. None of this was going on in the 90s. 
that I could see. And some of this, I'm sure, has to do with the advent of the Internet. Um, and I think that that's all really, really great. Um, it's certainly, the field certainly has a really long way to go. Um, there are still too many sites and um, lists and things that if you go down, it's pretty much all white men with an occasional white woman thrown in here and there. Sure. And and once you um, once you wrote Moth and Spark, what was the path to publication? You said you were working with an agent. Is that the case? Um, that, that was that was a different agent. That book wound up not selling. Okay. And I just went on um, and and I can in retrospect I can see why. Um, and I went on, went to law school, and then practiced for a couple of years. And all that time, I was writing Moth and Spark, and Finally, I finally got to a point where I thought I had something that was worth sending out. And so I did the, the old fashioned thing, sending out queries. And I got a couple of nibbles. And so then I got a little braver and started sending queries to more well-known and established agents. And I landed with the Gurnert company and I'm extremely happy. And they've done a great job for me. That's great. That's great. So, so what books or writers have you read in the past year that inspired you or impressed you that, that you would, that you would mention or recommend either fiction or nonfiction? Well, it's pretty much been all fiction. Um, a couple of books that I've read that were just kind of fabulously written and are kind of make me feel like I can't write at all, um, are, some not so well-known books. Um, there's one by a guy named Matt Bell. It's published by Soho Press. Um, the title is um, In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the, the Woods, which is the really long title. And you kind of think, what? And then all of a sudden, halfway through the book, you realize that it's the perfect title. And um, it's lyrical and it's poetic and the the story is amazing and compelling and creepy and all those good, those things. Um, uh, so I definitely recommend that. Also, Helen Oyayemi's um, Whitest for Witching is another really one, really amazing story with language that I read recently. And I've been um, reading a lot of, not a lot, but Cormac McCarthy has been kind of my writer of interest the last year or so. Gotcha. And what is it about uh, Cormac McCarthy that that um, interests you or appeals to you as a reader? Well, first of all, I mean, he's just such a good writer, and he hits you in the gut, and it's not fun to read his stuff, and you have to take your time. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to go back and reread it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so just the fact that as a writer he can do that to me impresses me. And – also, his language and his descriptions and his picture of the American West and living in California, that's a um, thing that I have a lot of awareness of, is we, we are aware of our geography out here. And even though McCarthy's in Texas, there's a lot of the, he gets the feeling of it really, really well. Sure, sure. So, so what are you working on now? Are you, are you writing another novel? I am. It feels like it's never going to be finished. Um, it is technically it would be a sequel to Moth and Spark, although I'm hoping it would be able to stand alone. Um, as Moth and Spark was written as a standalone, I had no intention of writing a sequel. And then I got an idea and thought, well, OK, let's see what happens. Um, so that's what's going on. It's a lot darker and um, grimmer and characters are much less shiny. 
Gotcha. Well, well, given your your writing path thus far and and uh, the publication of Moth and Spark, what what writing advice would you have for someone who might be listening who would like to have their own stories or novels published? Okay, so generally, of course, just persist. I mean, I'm a I'm a lesson in persistence. I got my MFA 20 years ago, um, and here I am now, finally. Um, I would also say watch your habits. It's really easy to write with our habits. And I learned this, I heard this piece of advice from a a poet a long time ago. I don't remember who it was now. Um, But break, break your habits, find out what they are, watch them, make sure that you break them. Um, And that's one of the things you can best do to help yourself develop as a writer. And also revise, 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 revise. That's good advice. So, so where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and about Moth and Spark? So my website is annleonardbooks.com, and that's Ann with an E, A-N-N-E-L-E-O-N-A-R-D-B-O-O-K-S.com. And I'm on Twitter at annleonardauth, A-U-T-H. And I have a Facebook page that is also Ann Leonard Books within the Facebook um, frame. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Ann Leonard, author of Moth and Spark. The book is available in bookstores now or available as an ebook. So grab a copy. And thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.